Luke 1, 26 through 38 tells us, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative is Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thank you all so much for being here today at River Oaks. We are really, really glad you came. As we begin this morning, I'd like to start with prayer for uh, the people of Puerto Rico, people of Houston, others who've been affected by the uh, devastating events of the last few months, the people of Mexico. Uh, In particular, uh, we've had several people from Puerto Rico uh, coming up, expressing concern about uh, family members they've not been able to get in touch with. So would you join me as we spend just a couple of minutes praying for God's hand to guide and bless the relief efforts in those areas. Father, we come together in the wonderful name of Jesus, in accord with your promises that tell us to come in his name, in prayer, to ask for whatever we need, to obtain grace and mercy in times of need. And Father, this is a time of great need for the people of Puerto Rico, for many in the Houston area, many in Florida and in Mexico. Father, we pray for your hand to bring great efficiency to the relief efforts in those places. We especially pray in Puerto Rico for a restoration of electric power, for the provision of water and food for the people, for your hand to guide all that's done. And in the midst of it all, Lord, we pray that the name of Jesus would be exalted, that people would find as they turn to you and trust that your power is more than sufficient to meet their needs. Would you show your great power in the midst of these crises, Father? And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for being here today. We are studying the biblical themes found in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is probably familiar to a number here. In fact, I bet Uh, many of you here could recite the Apostles' Creed. But our focus is not so much on being able to recite it, but on understanding it. Understanding what we're saying when we 
say the words of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is quite old. Uh, it didn't originate with the 12 Apostles of Jesus, but it expresses what they taught. And it goes back quite early into church history. We don't know the precise date that it began. We know for sure it predates 700 A.D. because we have it in its current form from 700 A.D. The remarkable thing about the Apostles' Creed is that it has been used across the whole spectrum of Christian faith. Orthodox churches, Catholic churches, Protestant churches, different nations around the world. So when you say or express the Apostles' Creed, you are saying something that's uh, in which you join with believers across the centuries and across the world and across the spectrum of the Christian faith. And so we're focusing on what, what it means uh, in those biblical ideas that it conveys. This week we get to the statement that begins, I believe in Jesus Christ. What are we saying when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ? Are we just saying, I believe there was an historical figure named Jesus Christ that he really lived? Well, we are saying that, but we're saying a whole lot more. It may help to look for just a moment at what Jesus Christ actually means. Because Jesus is his name and Christ is his title. In the passage Grace read a moment ago from Luke chapter 1, we see the angel came to Mary and said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Likewise, the angel Gabriel came to Joseph, as it's recorded in Matthew's gospel, uh, speaking about his wife Mary, and said to him, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus has connection with that meaning of saving from sins because the name Jesus is actually the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. Joshua in the Old Testament. It's essentially the same name, the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. The name Yahweh or Jehovah originates in the book of Exodus. Moses was called before God in a burning bush, and God was revealing himself to Moses and charging Moses to go and bring the Israelites out of their bondage in, uh, to slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. And Moses is asking God, what's your name? If the people of Israel say, who sent you? What shall I say? And God said this to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. <clears throat> God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. The word Yahweh is essentially the capital letters of this uh, verb form to be expressing I am. And so Yahweh becomes uh, equivalent to the Lord. Sometimes when you see the word Yahweh rendered Lord in the Old Testament, you'll see it with all capital letters for that reason. So Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, essentially saves is the meaning of the name Joshua or Jesus. 
Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Christ, the word Christ, is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah, which simply means anointed or the anointed one. When we're saying Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the sent one, the anointed one of God. So it brings up a question, which do we use when we are referring to Jesus Christ? Do we always use both? Is it okay to just call him Jesus? Is it okay to just call him Christ? In the Bible, in the New Testament, we find uh, really five different ways, I think, to which he's referred. He's sometimes called Jesus alone, sometimes called Christ alone, sometimes called Christ Jesus, sometimes Jesus Christ, and sometimes Jesus Christ of Nazareth. All are appropriate if we know of whom we're speaking. My personal preference, though, when praying or using his name in some type of ministry, as in praying for people, I want to always include the name Jesus. Because Jesus himself gave the promise in the Gospel of John, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I will do. It's interesting to look through the book of Acts to see how the early Christian church used the name of Jesus in their prayers and in their ministry. For example, in Acts chapter 3, the apostle Peter and the apostle John were going up to the temple to pray. And before they entered the temple, there was a man the Bible described as being lame from birth, and he was asking offerings of people who were going into the temple. And so Peter comes along, the man looks at him, wanting an offering, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took the man by his hand and a miracle was done, he stood up and he walked. Peter later was giving an account of what he had done, what God had done rather, through him in verse 16 of the same chapter. And he explains, and his name, by faith in his name, referring to Jesus, Jesus' name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 30, Peter and John had been forbidden to speak further in the name of Jesus because the religious authorities noticed when they preached about Jesus, things were happening. People were turning to faith in this Jesus who they could not see, but in whom they believed. And so in Acts chapter 4 and verse 30, the apostles came together and they prayed to God and they prayed that they said to him that you would stretch out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 40, the Bible says the authorities called the apostles, beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They knew there was something powerful about their preaching, their praying in that name. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, discerning that a young woman had an evil spirit, said to her in Acts 16 and verse 
18, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Let me stress that the name of Jesus or the name of Jesus Christ is not a magic formula. Not at all. We have an example in the book of Acts of some people who tried to call the name of Jesus over a man who had a demon and it did not turn out well for them. It's found in Acts chapter 19. Not a magic formula. It's only to be used by people who are in right relationship with God, but we have many promises about coming to God in the name of Jesus Christ. So when we recite the Apostles' Creed and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, we're saying, I believe in the one who has brought salvation, the one who is our Savior, who is the Messiah, who is the Anointed One. We continue, though, in the Creed, and we add the words, God's only Son. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son. What do we mean when we say that? We should understand that Jesus is God's only Son eternally, with emphasis on the word eternally. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Really important to grasp this, and I think it's not crystal clear for all Christians, but Jesus has been God's Son eternally. He did not become the Son in relation to the Father when He was born of Mary. He has always been God the Son. Our understanding of the Trinity is this. That there is one God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, each of whom is fully God. One God existing eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus has always been the Son in relation to the Father. He didn't become the Son of God when He was born of Mary. Now let me share with you why it's so important to understand that. If you're sharing your faith with a friend who is a Muslim, one of the, the great uh, concerns that many Muslims have about the Christian faith is that Christians believe in three gods. They say, you Christians don't believe in one God like we do and like Jews do. You believe in three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Furthermore, they say, some say, what you believe is blasphemy. Because to say you believe that God has a Son means you believe that God the Father had physical relations with a woman in order to have a son. And many believe that woman was Mary. Because some church traditions have elevated Mary almost to the status of deity. That is what some Muslims believe about Christians and therefore think it blasphemous to say God has a son. This is why I stress this. Jesus didn't become God the Son when he was born of Mary. Notice these words in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. The writer says, long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus was the Son in relation to the Father before the creation of the world. Through Jesus Christ, through God the Son, all that has been created was created. 
Not only that, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He has been the Son of God eternally. Furthermore, this beautiful passage in Hebrews tells us Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That means if you wonder what God is like, you only have to look at Jesus. Jesus' own disciple, Philip, said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said, Philip, why do you ask me to show you the Father? Don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John the Apostle says, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, God the only Son, He has revealed Him. Jesus has revealed the Father. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of His nature. And when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, we're understanding that Jesus has existed eternally. He didn't come into existence when he was born of Mary. He merely became a human being at that time. It's what we call the incarnation. God coming incarnate, in flesh. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Further we say, if we're saying the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. What do we mean when we say that? Lord is a, is a strong word. As we saw a moment ago in the Old Testament, the word Yahweh, the name of God, is often rendered as Lord, the Lord. So to call Jesus Lord is to say a lot. We read these words in the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus was God before he came to this earth. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by, by um, taking the form of a servant <clears throat> being born in the likeness of men. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we say Jesus is Lord, it's more than just a title of honor. We're acknowledging that he was is the Lord. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote something that has become almost a, a bit of a formula for becoming a Christian. Uh, it's found in Romans 10 verse 9. And it reads, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Sometimes we think, okay, well, I, I just, I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead, so I just got to say the words, Jesus is Lord. We should keep in mind, however, that at the time when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, people were often required to make the confession, Caesar is Lord. 
faithful Jews and faithful Christians wouldn't do that. They couldn't do that. But to openly confess in their culture, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord could be very costly. So let's not take it too lightly when we say Jesus is my Lord. Because when we call Him Lord, we're implying our devotion to Him. As Lord Jesus deserves our complete faithfulness and our complete devotion. Now we add the words that have to do with is being conceived by the Holy Spirit. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This is a part of the creed that some struggle with. Some people find it hard to believe that Jesus was actually born of a virgin. It, it surprises me when someone says they believe in God, He's our Creator, but they don't believe in the virgin birth because it just makes sense to me. If God can do one miracle, it seems He could do any miracle. If God could speak and bring into being all that exists, it certainly doesn't seem to me a hard thing that he could arrange for uh, Mary to conceive in her womb by the Holy Spirit. What are we saying then? I think it's important to understand that the virgin birth was essential so that Jesus would be both fully God and fully human. We see these words that Grace read a bit earlier for us from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. The angel said to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus had to be both fully God and fully human to atone for our sins. As a human, he could take our place on the cross. He could be our substitute. He was a real flesh and blood human being. As God, his sacrifice was of infinite value, more than sufficient to atone for all the sins of all people of all time that would come through faith in him. The virgin birth made possible his real, his very real humanity without the inherited sin that had passed to all human beings since the time of Adam. What theologians sometimes call original sin. That nature of sin that resides within each of us so that nobody ever has to teach us how to be self-centered, selfish, how to deceive, how to lie. Jesus did not inherit the original sin of Adam. And furthermore, as he lived as a real flesh and blood human being, he was tempted, the Bible says, in every way as we are tempted in life, yet he never sinned. Whereas Adam in the Garden of Eden was tempted and fell to sin, Jesus was tempted numerous times throughout his life 
and yet never fell into sin, never rebelled, never disobeyed. Jesus was preserved through this conception in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. Look at the verse on the screen again, the very last verse, Luke 1 and verse 35, that reads, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, that is upon Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Somehow, through this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the child to be born, a real flesh and blood human being, would remain holy. And again, it's important to grasp this when talking to our friends who are Muslims because the gospel absolutely does not teach a physical relationship between God and a human being, Mary. Not at all. Rather, this miraculous work, this conception of the Holy Spirit, allowed that the Son of God could take human flesh upon Himself and become a real flesh and blood human being who experienced what we experience, who was tempted as we are tempted, who faced the kind of things we face. When I think about the fact that the Son of God, whom the Bible says created all things, through whom all things were created, that the Son of God would actually choose to do this, become a real human being like one of His created, a dependent baby born to a mother, and live on this earth and face what He faced, and then in incredible humbling of himself, allow himself to be crucified. As you see in the words on the screen from Philippians chapter 2, we read in uh, the latter half of that first sentence that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is, the Son of God did not cling to his rights as God but rather emptied himself, laid aside his rights, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then being found in human form, he humbled himself further by experiencing the most humiliating of deaths, death on a cross, where he bore the judgment for your sin and for mine, so that he might eternally bring us to God. Bring us to the Father. The great theologian Wayne Grudem says this about Jesus. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. So that today Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And if you are a believer, if you're his follower, He's your representative, and he's mine. The Bible calls him our advocate. I don't know about you, but I know I desperately need an advocate because I stumble and I fall and I fail. But the Son of God, fully God, fully human, who took my place, I know represents me there. The Bible also says he before the Father's throne is our intercessor. He intercedes on our behalf before the Father. 
The Bible says he's our mediator, the one who stands before the Father on our behalf. And regardless what we face in life, we always have the great assurance, if he's truly our Lord and our Savior, that he always lives for us to make intercession for us. The writer of the book of Hebrews speaks of Christ speaking and calls those who would come to faith children whom the Father has given me. Have you ever thought about yourself? I'm speaking to those who you know you're a Christian, you know you're a believer, you know you're Jesus follower. Have you ever thought of yourself as a gift to Jesus from God the Father? We often talk about Jesus being God's gift to us, don't we? Have you ever thought about yourself as God's gift to Jesus? That's the way Jesus talks about his followers in the Bible. If you, I'm not making it up. If you read John chapter 17, you will find that six times in that great chapter, Jesus refers to believers as those who are given from the Father to the Son. And in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is speaking, the writer is speaking prophetically, about himself using the words, I and the children God has given me. And the 14th verse of Hebrews 2 goes on to say, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, since we are, were flesh and blood human beings, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one that had the power of death, that is the devil, and liberate us. Jesus died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, the Bible says, to bring us to God. Jesus was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. So when we profess the words of the Apostles' Creed, we're saying quite a lot about who he is, what he has done, about why he came. And so as we draw to a close this morning, just three questions by way of personal application. Number one, do I have a clear understanding of who Jesus is and why he came so that when I say the Apostles' Creed, I'm not just saying empty words. I'm just reciting something as if it's a magic formula that makes me a Christian. It's not that. The Apostles' Creed was formed by early Christian leaders to express what they felt were the essential doctrines, that is, the essential teachings of the Bible that one should believe who is a Christian. And then could I explain it to someone else? A number of you have young uh, children at home. I, I, I think the Apostles' Creed would be a great thing to teach them at an early age as a way to understand the essential teachings of the Christian faith. What a great prayer it would make around a dinner table or even at bedtime to learn the Apostles' Creed. And then finally, can I truly confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. Christianity is not about rituals. It's not about saying or reciting things. It is about a relationship with our God whose love and servanthood and humility was so great that he came to this earth, a real flesh and blood human being, 
to bring us eternally into fellowship with himself. Would you join me as we pray about that now? Father, we thank you for the greatness of your love and your humility, your holiness, your majesty, your great justice, and yet your great mercy. And how we thank you that your word declares that mercy triumphs over judgment. And you have made that the case for us because of Jesus. May we have a greater grasp today of the reality of what he has done so that we would know you better and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.